Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General podcast. I am Al, and I'm flying solo today. Before I begin with today's show, a quick announcement. I am recording this on Friday, July 17th. In a few days, the website that I sell many of my products through, Drive Through RPG or Drive Through Stuff or RPG Now, they're all part of the same site, so any one of those sites, they're going to be having their Christmas in July sale, which I believe goes from July 23rd through July 30th. Now, I'm not the only publisher who participates in this sale, of course. There's many others, such as White Wolf and Wizards of the Coast and many, many more. During this sale, PDF products are 25% off and print-on-demand products are 15% off. So if you've had your eye on a specific Point of Insanity Game Studio product, stop by and take advantage of these deals. Well, on to today's topic. I'm going to be discussing a few things today, uh, some martial arts-related topics. I'm going to talk a little bit about my background in martial arts as well as what inspired me to do this episode. Talk a little bit about martial art movies. Before we begin, one thing I want to mention is some of the stuff I'm going to be discussing today is pure memory. So I might be making mistakes. I apologize if I give some incorrect information. It's just because I'm misremembering something. I'm not trying to spread any false information. Also, I do not consider myself any sort of martial arts expert, whether it's the practice of martial arts or martial arts cinema or the history of martial arts. Now, I do have a bit of a background in a couple different martial arts. Now, if any of you have the Modern Monks role-playing game or the Modern Monks Quick Start Rules, the player's guide anyway, if you've read the introduction to that, you'll know that I've studied a few different martial arts over the years. Like I said, I don't consider myself an expert of any kind, uh, but it is something that I studied quite religiously for about eight years or so, then studied well practiced uh, kind of on and off for a little bit, uh, got out of it for many years, and at the start of this year, I actually started practicing my Kung Fu again, and I am working towards my black belt in Tiger Claw Kung Fu, which I'll be talking a bit more about that later on in today's show. Again, I want to mention that I didn't spend a lot of time preparing the material I was going to discuss today. This is another one of those episodes where I'm going to be doing a lot of speaking off the cuff. As I mentioned before, if I give some incorrect information, it's just because I might be misremembering something. I'm not trying to spread any false information, anything like that. If you listen to my Changing Technology episode, not too, too long ago... You may recall that I mentioned during that episode that my wife and I were considering cutting our cable. The reason, well, it wasn't because of cost or service, anything like that. It's just we took a look at how much TV we were watching, and we noticed that, you know, we really don't follow many new series, and the stuff we do follow, most of it was on network TV. The other shows that we watched, we could get on Netflix or Hulu. So we thought, well, why are we spending all this money when we really don't use this service very often? And my son, 
well, he's more into video games than TV, so he doesn't really watch TV either, and if he does want to watch something, he usually can just catch it on Netflix. So we cut the cable, because we figured it's just cheaper to do Netflix and Hulu. And that works out just fine for us. Well, when I work on my computer, writing my books and other role-playing game products, I usually like to have a little bit of background noise, whether it's music or a movie or a TV show. Well, one night, not too long ago, I watched Game of Death on Netflix while working on my computer. It got me thinking to a documentary I saw about that movie a while ago, and Game of Death, for those who may not know, is one of Bruce Lee's more famous movies. Though, well, in a way it's a Bruce Lee movie, in a way it's not, and we'll explain that later. Well, before we begin, I'd like to talk a little bit more about my martial arts background, because it is somewhat relevant to the topic at hand today. When I was young, I was interested in martial arts. Part of it, I do admit, was from catching the occasional kung fu flick on TV and playing video games. However, my family wasn't really very well off financially for a good chunk of my childhood. So they never really could afford to get me into any sort of martial arts school. And when I was old enough to get a job, well, I pretty much was working, so I didn't really have any time there. So I didn't really get the opportunity to study martial arts until I went to college in 1994. My fall semester, I was walking around campus and I was looking at flyers and there were a couple different uh, flyers for martial arts clubs that I saw. One of them was for the Oshkosh Karate Club, which met on campus, and the other was for Tiger Claw Kung Fu which was off campus and I decided since I was new to Oshkosh and I really didn't know my way around the city what I decided to do was I decided to sign up for the Oshkosh Karate Club which taught Tang Sudo. Now Tang Sudo is a Korean Chinese hybrid martial art. I studied it for my freshman year and a lot of the techniques I learned early on that first year they were what you would call hard style. Now, I understand that with Tang Sudo, once you get to the, the higher belts, it starts to become a little bit more of a soft style. Now, in martial arts, the terms mean, well, a hard style is usually a style that focuses more on power and speed and strength. Uh, usually, styles like most forms of karate, uh, kickboxing, you know, boxing, Muay Thai, those are usually considered more along the lines of hard style because your goal is pretty much to knock your opponent out with a few hits. The other types of martial arts are usually described as soft styles. And soft styles tend to rely a little bit more on skill and technique as opposed to brute force. Examples of soft styles usually include uh, most forms of Kung Fu, uh, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, I believe is usually considered a soft style, and Aikido. Think of it this way. Hard styles and techniques tend to rely on direct force and linear movements. 
Soft styles and soft techniques tend to rely on circular movements and using your attacker's force against him. Nothing wrong with either one of them. You know, if you like hard styles, you like hard style. If you like soft style, there's nothing wrong with that either. Now, I made a few friends studying Tang Sudo that first year, and I did have some memorable moments. It, I mean, it did help me lose about 40 pounds my first year in college. Also, another pivotal event that was, well, kind of interesting that year is I remember we went to a seminar down in, I think it was in Iowa, because I remember we left at like 3 or 4 in the morning and had like a 4 or 5 hour drive from Oshkosh to this uh, high school where the the seminar was taking place. And the most notable thing about that is uh, one of the, well, there were several Tang Sudo masters there, but there was also the Tang Sudo Grandmaster, uh, Grandmaster J.C. Shin, who was there as well. So got to meet him. He was signing people's belts. And you can imagine I was a little 18-year-old, actually 19-year-old at the time. I was a little 19-year-old uh, white belt. And J.C. Shin, Grandmaster of the style I was studying, signed my white belt. So that was pretty cool. I also studied another martial art this year, um, Anayan Eskrima. And Scream is more of a Filipino martial art. It goes by several different names. Uh, Kali, Arnis are two of the more popular ones. And this wasn't a formally recognized club like the Oshkosh Karate Club was. Uh, there was just a flyer I saw, and the guy who uh, taught the class, as I mentioned in one of my previous episodes, uh, How He Changes Gamers, he was also into D&D as well. So not only did we practice martial arts together, we also played D&D together, so that was pretty cool. And in Scream, of course, a lot of it focused on stick, but I also learned some knife fighting techniques as well. Well, actually, not really true knife fighting, more knife defense. Uh, there was a program we went through called Reactive Knife, and there was some hand-to-hand -hand combat skills. So I had a lot of fun studying martial arts my freshman year in college. Now, unfortunately, I wouldn't go on with Tang Sudo. And the reason is, near the end of the year, my uh, karate instructor had found out that I was studying Eskrima, and, you know, he told me, well, you know, since they do stick stuff later in the, you know, later in uh, upper levels of, of uh, Tang Sudo, he said that he want I had to choose between the two of them. I mean, he let me finish out the year, but uh, he was kind of upset that I did this without asking him. And, well, I really... You know, don't get me wrong, I really respect the guy who I learned Tang Sudo from. He was a great guy. You know, he was a great instructor. But he never said anything about, okay, if you practice this art, you have to, you know, let me know if you want to study any other martial arts. So that kind of made me not really upset or not really ticked off, just kind of like, okay, whatever. So when I went back to college in 1995, the next year, of course I hooked up with my Eskrima instructor and continued to study in Nyan Eskrima. Also, oh yes, also got to meet the grandmaster of that style, uh, Susuro, Suro. I apologize. Uh, I know there's two different titles in Eskrima, Susuro and Suro where one of them's Grandmaster and one of them's Master. I believe Susuro was Grandmaster. So 
I got to meet Susuro Mike and A a couple times, so that was, again, pretty cool. But back on track, and uh, as I was walking around campus one day, I noticed there was a flyer for Tiger Claw Kung Fu again. And the flyer said, okay, if you're interested in studying Tiger Claw Kung Fu, you know, there's going to be an informational meeting this time, this place. So I went, and that's when I met a guy named Tim who would become my Kung Fu instructor. And I studied Kung Fu for that particular year. And I have to say, I really loved Kung Fu. I mean, I liked Tang Sudo, but I learned more in nine months of Kung Fu than I learned in nine months of Tang Sudo. Now, I'm not trying to rip on Tang Sudo, so if anyone listening to this podcast right now, if you practice Tang Sudo, awesome, great, is that it's a good martial art. It's just, I kind of liked Kung Fu better, and I think part of it was when I talked a little bit about hard style versus soft style, where, I mean, I am not the strongest or fastest person in the world, and since Kung Fu had more of an emphasis on technique and controlling your opponent, I just felt I did a little bit better at that than the whole straight-out approach, raw power, raw speed thing that I was learning in karate. But again, there's nothing wrong with Tang Sudo or any martial art. Please don't think that I'm trying to say... Kung Fu is the best and everything else sucks. I'm not trying to say that. Now, why am I mentioning this? Well, my martial arts background is one of the things that inspired me when I developed the Modern Monks role-playing game. Now, for those who may not have heard of this game before, what Modern Monks is, it's a retro-clone-inspired martial arts-themed role-playing game. One of the reasons I developed this is Now, I've been a long-time Dungeons & Dragons fan. I've played the game for, well, probably about 26 years or so. And for the most part, I never really liked how martial arts was handled in Dungeons & Dragons. To some extent, I can understand why it wasn't really emphasized, because a lot of times Dungeons & Dragons and the, the various adventures and supplements are inspired more by like a medieval fantasy. So there's more of a focus on combat with weapons and swords and axes and people wearing plate mail and, and of course, you have things like dragons and magic as well. Now, I guess it makes sense that they would not emphasize martial arts in Dungeons & Dragons because if you think about it realistically, a lightly armored warrior who is relying on his fists and feet would be at a quite a disadvantage against someone wearing plate mail and using a sword and a shield or a two-handed sword or a a spear or a battle axe. But of course they did have some attempts at making martial arts and monk characters in Dungeons and Dragons. A lot of people are familiar with the first edition monk, which I personally never really played one, and one of the things that just seemed so unappealing about it is the fact that, okay, even if you do have a really good dexterity, a monk character doesn't get a dexterity bonus. Not only that, you can't wear armor, which, again, that's understandable in a lot of martial arts. They don't train in armor. They pretty much are unarmored warriors. You get a fair selection of weapons, but this whole D4 for your hit points, I mean, come on. 
people who really seriously study martial arts are going to develop some degree of physical toughness. There's no reason that they couldn't have given a first edition monk a D8 for hit points. Come on. But that's maybe just a little nitpicky for, of me. The first edition monk was intended to be based more on what we think of when we think of Shaolin monks. So there's a bit more of a mysticism and semi-magical abilities in there. Probably the most well-known one is the whole quivering palm or the death touch where you touch your opponent and you might paralyze them or kill them. There's a few things I'm not really sure what they were thinking because monks get some thieving abilities. I don't know what that's all about in all the years that I've practiced martial arts. I My instructors never taught me how to climb walls or pick locks or I think they also got pickpockets for some reason. I mean, I could understand giving them like height and shadows and climb walls, but yeah, the whole stuff about opening locks, no, not, I don't know what they were thinking. Eventually, they did release the Oriental Adventure Supplement, and I'll talk a little bit about that material later because the in that supplement, they tried to move away from this generic monk that had these semi-mystical abilities towards giving monks the ability to have a specific style because they recognized that, well, Kung Fu is a different martial art from Karate. And both Karate and Kung Fu are different from Aikido. Each of these arts has their own different flavor to them and there's different techniques that they're going to use. You know, again, uh, just from my experience having studied both Karate and Kung Fu, if I was to rely just on my Karate knowledge, that's going to be entirely different in a fight than if I were to rely on just what I've learned practicing Kung Fu or a Screama. Now a lot of that supplemental material would eventually make its way into second edition in the complete Ninja's Handbook. It's a very good supplement. I highly recommend it if you ever see it at a used bookstore and I'm sure Wizards of the Coast will eventually release the PDF of it. But this is where I think they really got martial arts in D&D &D right. Because again, there was no formal monk class in 2nd edition. Instead, what they did, in the Complete Fighter's Handbook, they introduced rules for martial arts. Now, previously, they had a punching and wrestling table. So this is how martial arts worked. Well, not necessarily martial arts, but this is how unarmed combat worked in early 2nd edition. If you were using a punching or wrestling attack against someone, you would you know, roll your, your normal attack roll, and then if you hit, you would look at this chart. And then that would essentially tell you what you got, like, you know, a head punch or, you know, a jab or a glancing blow, and that gave you how much damage you did, and it also gave you a chance to knock the opponent out for grappling. Again, it was pretty much the same thing like headlock or arm lock or whatnot. They also introduced a martial arts table in the Complete Fighter's Handbook, which did a little bit more damage, not much, maybe like you know two or three points where 
punching was mostly just like one or two points or even zero points and it had a little bit better chance to knock the opponent out and the moves you could do with that included things like just basic like sidekick or you know again punch to the face or punch to the stomach you know it was pretty simple but you know again when they released the complete ninjas handbook they introduced different styles that you could spend your weapon proficiency points on and when you learned a style, it gave you a bonus to your armor class. It uh, gave you a different damage modifier for your unarmed attacks. And it also played into what special techniques you could learn as well. So I really liked that because, again, it recognized the fact that martial arts are different. You know, as I said before, someone who studies karate is going to have a much different approach at a fight than someone who studied Kung Fu. Third edition, I don't remember too much of how they handled martial arts with the monk class. I think it tried to mimic a little bit more closely to first edition where, you know, again, it was designed to be this unarmed, lightly armored warrior who had semi-mystical abilities. Like, there's one ability, I think you get to speak to animals, and there's, like I said, all sorts of weird stuff. Fourth edition, I've never seen how the fourth edition monk works, so I'm not sure how martial arts play in that edition. But, according to my friend Dan from Radio Free Borderlands, it's really not that much different than the other classes in fourth edition. You know, again, you have your basic powers and your... I'm sorry, your at-will powers and your daily powers and your encounter powers. So, like I said, it doesn't... The way he described it, it really didn't sound very impressive. Fifth edition. Again, I haven't actually made a monk for fifth edition. I did actually make my first fifth edition character. Some of you remember my friend Casey, who has helped me with several episodes. Uh, we're actually going to be starting a campaign for fifth edition, so I made a ranger which for my friends who've actually gamed with me, especially Dan and my normal host co-host Steve, the fact that I created a ranger probably is no surprise at all. So yes, I'm actually gonna, finally going to get a chance to play 5th edition. Now from what I've seen of the 5th edition monk, you know, again, it looks like it's trying to be more of the mystical Shaolin monk that, you know, has all these crazy mystical kung fu abilities that they get. Now, they have the different paths you choose, like the Way of the Shadow, which is primarily like a ninja assassin type path. The, again, the, the first one, I think, is like the Way of Empty Hand, which, again, that's going to be like your Quivering Palm, Death Touch stuff. And one idea they had that was pretty cool is they had, I think it's called the Way of the Elements or something like that, where... Again, you're, you choose like whether you want to focus on fire or air or water or earth. Hmm, gee, I wonder if maybe someone who designed that watched a little too much Avatar, The Last Airbender. But anyways, it looks kind of interesting. Maybe, I don't know, maybe one of these days when I create another 5th edition character, maybe I'll try a monk just to see how it plays out. But if I have to choose which edition of Dungeons & Dragons I personally feel did the best at simulating martial arts, it would be second. Because, again, it gave you a bit more flexibility, and it let you emulate specific styles. Like I said, if you wanted to do someone who was kind of like a jiu-jitsu 
master or a karate master. You could. So indirectly, this idea of making styles different is what inspired me when I created the Modern Monks role-playing game. Because in that one, there's actually three different martial artists. You have your hard-style martial artist that, again, focuses on power and speed. And then you've got your soft-style, which focuses on defense. And then you've got the strikers, which is, I entirely made that up. As far as I know, there is no distinction of styles that are considered striker styles. These are pretty much your martial artists that focus on multiple attacks as opposed to really focusing on overly on speed and, and defense or overly on power. So again, they're meant to be kind of the mid-ground. And when I made Modern Monks, I did try to incorporate some of the various techniques that I did learn studying Kung Fu and, mar and Karate and Screama as well as a little bit of grappling because when I was in college I did work out with uh, some guys who practiced Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu every now and then. It's not something I learned a lot of but a very very little bit and also I had a couple of friends that practiced Taekwondo so I did a little bit of that as well. But again my goal when I made Modern Monks is I wanted to make a martial arts themed game but I wanted it to focus on the modern age because let's face it you're probably more likely to run into someone that knows a little karate or knows a little judo or you know knows a little Brazilian jiu-jitsu than you are to run into someone who is a master swordsman or is knows how to use a spear or a battle axe properly and another one of my goals when I was creating modern monks is I wanted to make a martial arts themed role-playing game that could be played in a more gritty realistic style but also did leave room for some of the over-the-top types moves we see in martial arts themed video games or uh, movies or anime well that brings us to the topic of game of death now that I think I've rambled enough about martial arts let's get to the main topic and that is the Bruce Lee movie game of death now, as I mentioned before, it's a Bruce Lee movie, only it's kind of not a Bruce Lee movie. There's an interesting story behind Game of Death. Originally, Bruce Lee had started shooting the movie, and his plan was, it was kind of a summary of his own philosophies on martial arts, and I think he may have also incorporated some of his ideas from the martial art he created, Jeet Kune Do. Unfortunately, Bruce died before the movie could be completed. So what happened is the company that owned the rights to the footage, they incorporated the footage that Bruce made for Game of Death into a different movie called Game of Death. Now, this one started out with a fight between Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee. How awesome is that? And afterwards, you find out that it was actually just a scene in a movie. So it's not a real fight between these two martial artists. And the main character, Billy Lowe, he gets into a bit of trouble, I guess you could say, with an organized crime syndicate. So what they do is they end up trying to kill him. Fortunately, he gets shot in the face, but he, well, uh, that came out wrong. Uh, he gets shot in the face, but fortunately, the character lives. 
So what they do is they give him plastic surgery. And of course, through most of the early part of the movie, you're, it's actually not Bruce Lee, of course, because unfortunately he was dead at this time, but it was played by a different actor. And I think there was actually two different actors that played him during the movie. Because a lot of times the person who was supposed to be the Bruce Lee character, he was in disguise. And again, they're trying to hide the fact that even though this movie is credited to Bruce Lee, uh, it's actually not Bruce Lee that's playing the main character. Now, there was one thing about the movie that was pretty controversial. They had the, the character fake his death, and they did show actual footage from Bruce Lee's funeral in the movie. I'm not sure uh, why they did that, or I'm really not sure how uh, Bruce's widow and his family felt about that, but the again, that footage from his funeral made it in there. So to continue, Billy Lowe, he fights off several of the thugs uh, that work for this organized crime gang, and he tracks the leader of this gang down to the Red Pepper restaurant. And this is where we get the footage from the Bruce Lee movie. So if you watch carefully, you'll see that there are a couple of scenes where there's bodies that are lying in the background, and there's no explanation as to how they got there. In order to understand that, we have to take a look at the actual Bruce Lee movie and what Bruce Lee wanted Game of Death to be. But what happens is, of course, in the Game of Death movie we got, uh, Billy Lowe fights his way past a couple of the uh, gang leader's bodyguards and eventually tracks down the gang leader and, of course, kills him. And everyone lives happily ever after. Roll credits. Well, that was the Game of Death movie that we got. However, the actual Game of Death movie that Bruce wanted to make was quite a bit different. Before we discuss that, though, let's take a little bit of a look at Bruce Lee as a martial artist. Bruce started to develop a philosophy and a martial art that would eventually become Jeet Kune Do. One of Bruce's biggest criticisms of a lot of the martial arts schools he saw is that he felt they were too rigid and they weren't really flexible or fluid enough to be practical in a real fight. He felt that a lot of martial arts tend to rely on fixed patterns of offense and defense. Uh, for example, I believe there was a quote that he said where he referred to sparring that you know he saw in competitions as dry land swimming. You know, again, it just didn't really work the way it would work in a real fight. And I think he also wasn't too fond of practicing forms either. I believe he may have referred to those as uh, organized disorder, organized chaos, something to that effect, where he just didn't feel it was as practical. Now that's something I don't really entirely agree with, at least from my experience uh, practicing kung fu forms, because the way my instructor taught me the Kung Fu forms are designed as a way to help you memorize your techniques. And a lot of the, the techniques in these forms had variations that you could do as well. Well, what Bruce decided to do, now his first art that he studied was Wing Chun, I believe. I know that was the one that he studied through most of his life. But when he was developing Jeet Kune Do, he referred to it as the style of no style. He believed that you should practice other martial arts. 
and you should take what you like and disregard the rest. For example, he took his blocking and striking drills from Wing Chun, and he also took some kicks from Taekwondo. He uh, took grappling from jiu-jitsu and wrestling, and he even borrowed some of his footwork from uh, boxing and even fencing. Because one thing that was kind of interesting about his fighting style, he believed in keeping your strong hand forward. So a lot of times when you're, well, the way most martial arts that I've studied teach a fighting style is, or fighting stance rather, is you're usually going to stay in a stance where your your weaker hand is forward. That's sometimes called your shield hand. And your stronger hand, also called your sword hand, that's kept further away from the target. And this harkens back to the days when we fought each other with a sword and a shield. For example, if you were right-handed, you would hold your sword in your right hand and your shield in your left hand. So that's where that terminology comes from. However, Bruce felt that, well, if your right hand is your strong hand, then you don't want to keep that far from the opponent. You want to put that closer to the opponent because that's going to let that attack, your strong attack, get to the opponent in the most direct, fastest way possible. So like I said, he was not shy about borrowing from other martial arts and trying to incorporate whatever he could. Another one of his quotes that I personally liked, he uh, often talked about the way of water because he mentioned that water conforms to its environment. You know, if you pour water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. If you pour water into a cup, it becomes a cup. Because while water, it can flow and it can crash. So it can be very gentle and graceful, but, you know, if you've ever seen waves crashing along the shore, it can also be very forceful. So he felt it was very important to have this flexibility and be very fluid with your techniques in combat. Well, here's how he tried to incorporate that in Game of Death. In the original plot of Game of Death, the plot that Bruce envisioned, he was taking the role of a retired martial arts fighter who was forced to go on a little expedition with some gangsters. Uh, there was a pagoda, this temple, where there was some sort of great treasure that was protected by five martial artists of extraordinary skill. When he refused to uh, go help them find this treasure, or whatever it was at the top of the pagoda, they kidnapped his sister. And, of course, they said, well, if you don't help us, we're going to kill her. So, of course, he goes along with them, and while he is uh, fighting, well, that's where, if you watch the game of death that we got, that explains why you've got bodies lying in the background of some of these fight scenes. These are these gangsters that Bruce Lee's character is supposed to be working with who get defeated by the guardians in this pagoda. Now, it was a five-level pagoda, and unfortunately, there were only three fights that were filmed. The first one was against Dan and Asanto. Again, he was the one with the two sticks. Uh, the second one, I don't remember the guy's name, but I believe he was a Hapkido master. And then the final one was the former basketball player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was also one of Bruce's students. 
Now, during each fight, he would make commentary as to what the problem was with the styles that his opponents were using. Again, his main criticism being that they're relying too much on fixed patterns and not being, uh, not being uh, fluid. Uh, one example I remember from his fight against Dan Inasanto, again, in, Dan Inasanto was using these fighting sticks, whereas Bruce's character was using a flexible bamboo rod, and that was supposed to represent the need for uh, speed and flexibility as opposed to being uh, rigid like the sticks that uh, Inasanto was using. Now, I'm don't remember what the message was behind the Hapkido fight. And remember when he got to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that's where he encounters that, well, Kareem's fighting style is just as fluid as his. So the only way he can defeat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is he has to find his weakness, which turns out he's sensitive to light. So he tears open a bunch of windows and lets the light in, and this blinds the character so that he's able to defeat him. Taking advantage of someone's weakness, so take that as you will, I guess. But after he defeats Kareem Duel jabbar he goes up the last staircase. And as far as I know, or what I can remember from the documentary I saw about it, it was never really determined what was supposed to be at the top of this pagoda presumably it was probably supposed to be something to represent, you know, enlightenment and that, uh, you, you know, if you got that far that you had somehow perfected this ultimate fighting style. But essentially, the, a lot of the message behind it was supposed to be the, uh, supposed to be a showcase of Bruce's beliefs about martial arts. You know, again, and the fact that uh, these enemies are all defeated by Bruce's style, which combines fluid movement, a bl blend of techniques from several different arts, as well as being unpredictable, instead of relying on the fixed patterns and movements that his opponents relied upon. So that was Game of Death. Like I said, it's a pretty good movie, even though it's not the original movie that Bruce Lee wanted. I enjoyed it. In some ways, though, I think Bruce Lee's philosophies and his, his, his words really kind of did have an effect on martial arts. One of the things I've noticed over the years is that it's becoming more common for martial arts schools to actually teach several different styles. At least that's what I noticed from some of the martial arts schools in my area. You know, instead of just driving by a martial arts school where it says Taekwondo or Judo or Karate. Instead, it will say something like, you know, Jiu-Jitsu, Karate, and even Eskrima. Because that's kind of funny. I mean, I remember when I was studying Eskrima in college, you really didn't see much of it in the mainstream, at least, again, in my area. But now it actually seems a lot of the schools in my area do have some sort of Eskrima in them. For a while, I studied at a, a school um, under uh, my instructor, Bill Soto, where, you know, he, I was actually kind of surprised to find that, you know, his school also taught some of the Eskrima techniques that I had learned previously in college. So it was kind of nice to be able to refresh on those. The main, we didn't do as much with the sticks. Most of the 
techniques we practiced there were the knife defense techniques and some of the empty hand techniques as well. Which one of the, I did like the well, the empty hand stuff is called cadena de mano or chain of hands. Uh, there were several drills we did called lock flows. And I also thought those were a lot of fun because one of the things it taught you is that, okay, you get into these different locks and then you have to know how to escape those locks and then fluidly go into another lock. So I always thought those were really good drills. Another, now, now the specific style that I studied at Soto's was referred to as American Freestyle Karate. And from what I understand, that's actually gained somewhat of a prominence over the years. It's kind of hard to define. I've known a couple other people that have studied at other schools that uh, teach what they call American Freestyle Karate. And best I can explain, it's, well, karate that has elements of other martial arts. It goes along with what Bruce Lee was teaching, where a martial artist shouldn't be afraid to study different arts. Because, again, going back to the first martial art I studied, Tang Soo Do, the stuff I learned was all just punching, kicking, and blocking. However, so it really didn't go much into ground fighting or joint locks, at least the lower levels I did. It was, again, radically different when I went into Kung Fu because not only did we have the punching and the kicking and the blocking, but even at early levels, I was learning how to do things like elbow locks and leg locks and wrist locks. And, again, I just felt it made me a more versatile martial artist knowing these additional techniques. Well, I think it's time to wrap this episode up. I hope you found some of the topics I discussed uh, interesting and informative. So one thing I would certainly like the listeners to take away is, you know, if you ever do have the opportunity to study a martial art, whether it's karate or kung fu or jujitsu, aikido, judo, taekwondo, whatever, you know, take it. Martial arts can do a lot of good things for you mentally and physically, and you know sometimes you can make some really good friends through the studying of the of martial arts and at your local martial arts school. Now, of course, you do have to be careful when selecting a martial arts school. I'm not going to get too much into that. Um, I mean, I know that a couple of terms you'll hear every now and then are black belt factories or McDojos. You know, these are places where there's more an emphasis on how many black belts you can turn out as opposed to what those students are actually learning. And I'm sure if you look up Black Belt Factory on the internet, you'll find websites that tell you how to uh, recognize those types of schools. But like I said, that's not a topic I'm going to get into. So again, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in general. Uh, please feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes or through Podbean. Uh, please feel free to give the show a positive rating. Leave feedback. I do appreciate it. If you have ideas for topics you'd like to see me cover in the future, please contact me through my website, puigamestudio.com, or look up Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook, and you're welcome to post any suggestions for topics to that page. Please feel free to like the page. I really do appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And have a good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. 
and happy gaming.